This episode of Giants and Crowns is brought to you by Hired.com. Hired.com is the leading job marketplace that connects tech talent with the world's most innovative companies. Hired combines intelligent job matching technology with a personalized career coach to help you find a job you love. Through Hired, both job candidates and companies have transparency into salary offers, competing opportunities, and job details. This level of insight is unmatched, making the recruiting process easier than ever before. Companies of all sizes, including WeWork, Booking.com, and Dropbox, leverage Hired for their tech hiring needs. If you're hiring, sign up for Hired at resources.hired.com forward slash giants, and you'll receive a $20 Amazon gift card, and Hired will also donate $20 to Code Interactive to help Code Interactive on their mission to provide computer science education to all students. Again, for more details, check out resources.hired.com forward slash giants, or head over to giantsandcrowns.com forward slash hired. I am Sarah Thunberg, and I am the co-founder and CEO of Geospiza. Nice, nice. So can you tell us what Geospiza is and how you came up with this concept? Sure, absolutely. So Geospiza is a data integration and analytics tool for use to save lives in disaster. And what we do is we harness the universe of data, whether that's um, static open data like census information, all the way to dynamic live data like um, traffic, weather, social media. We pull it all together and make it meaningful and um, aligned together. And we then apply a series of proprietary machine learning and data analytics algorithms that provide uh, real-time decision support to first responders and emergency managers whose job it is to protect their communities. So we make sort of this mountain of data that people who don't have a whole lot of skill or time or capacity or resources to, to use, we make it actionable and applicable to their lives in a really easy to digest way that helps them do their jobs better and their jobs are to, to help their community. Yeah. So ultimately, yeah. yeah. That's so, so how does, how does, how do they receive that? Is it, is it in the form of like a text message or is this an app that they have um, as part of their arsenal that they have on their mobile device? Or is it like a, a headset? Like yeah. what's, what's the delivery method? Currently, it's a web-based platform. We use a, a mapping interface, so you sort of interact with all of our data and our analytics starting with a map, and then can look at tables and other sorts of data visualization, um, depending on the type of data you're using. But largely, it's either a, a, a computer or mobile um, engagement. Um, we'd love to make it a heads-up display someday, but we're not quite there. Got it. So in terms of like the first responders, like who on the ground... Can you kind of paint a picture for like how it's used? So yeah, yeah, absolutely. So our focus and the vast majority of work around emergency management and first response happens what we call left of boom. So it's in the preparedness, planning, and mitigation stage. So while the the public is really engaged with first responders and emergency managers when things go really, really poorly. Um, there are people, 70,000 organizations in the United States alone who are working 365 days a year as full-time people on, on preparing for those things to happen so that they can reduce the effects. And we come into play mostly in that period and that planning and preparedness. Um, so our users are 
emergency managers in any city, state, federal government, or large corporation who's doing the planning so that when something bad happens, whether it's a hurricane, a flood, a cyber attack, pandemic, um, they have the tools they need, the information they need to make good real-time decisions. Um, so that looks like them doing their everyday work, which isn't super fancy, but it's writing plans. It's creating interventions and tracking them through our application, using data to make sure that the desired effect, whether that's reaching out to so many people to, to reduce risk or delivering a thousand smoke detectors to a low-income neighborhood, really has the desired effect of, of enhancing resilience and reducing risk and doing data-driven interventions rather than just gut or because we think so. So like to before Geospeza, what were they using? Like how were, how, what's, what's like the typical workflow of a person in that position? Yeah, um, and this is, and I was that typical person, which is sort of how Geospeza comes to be. I am an emergency manager yeah. um, and I used a lot of consultants a lot of spreadsheets, a lot of pen on paper, and a lot of um, hoping and fingers crossing and really like sort of like teeth clenching. Oh, I hope this is this is good. Yeah. Oh God. Um, and I, uh, I don't know, a funny lesson learned. It wasn't mine, but somebody wise, and I'm not sure who it was, said anytime someone relies on a spreadsheet, it's an opportunity for innovation. Yeah. And that definitely is our case of just drowning in spreadsheets and disparate tools and one-off things and really seeing a need for standardization and scalability and sharing of information. Yeah. So kid, I guess that's a great opportunity to talk about like how you came into uh, Geospeza and then like what, apart from your experience, like what is sort of, I guess with your experience, what sort of propelled you into this? Totally. So I come at this from, I was originally a social worker and then did public health work in international development. So did a lot of work related to um, the tsunami and earthquake in Southeast Asia and also uh, in around the Janjaweed era in South Sudan. That's like even before South Sudan was a country. Um, and I was living in New Orleans um, getting my public health degree ready to, to work abroad again and Hurricane Katrina happened. And I was displaced and evacuated and realized that all of these skills I was using internationally and abroad um, in development and refugee situations were happening and needed in, in my community and to my people and to my home. And I got busy. And that was a sort of a shift of my career, an unexpected one. Um, and I started working domestically and I've been a domestic emergency manager since. And I've worked in all sorts of different capacities all across the country. Um, yeah. So, so what, what happened that sort of sparked that you needed to create something to make this process, to make, to optimize, I guess, this part of the, uh, emergency effort. Like, was there, yeah. was there like, was there like a, a particular moment, a particular event that, that just sort of peaked frustration? I don't know if there's a particular moment. It was sort of a slow roll into a, I don't know, and into the company and it happened incrementally. This One of the foundations is that I'm just a data-driven person. I try to live an evidence-based life. I love data. And so working in an environment and in a field that didn't use a lot of data and that didn't have a lot of tools to be evidence-based was really frustrating and motivating. 
it, it, I constantly saw an opportunity to do better and to do more um, evidence-based work, to really be documenting what really worked and why, and, and then share that information. Um, and so it started small, just with a little frustration and a little excitement and then built and built. And I started out by writing a couple of algorithms around data integration so we could use it better. And then that turned into more. It was clear after showing them to, to friends and colleagues and also some customers, early customers, that what we built had something there. And they were like, yeah, that's it. Do it. Go. We'd love to see this bigger, live, dynamic, on a website. No more spreadsheets. No more PDFs. Let's make this a thing we can interact with. Got it. So like as, a, as an emergency manager... Or is that would that be the right phrase for your yep, cool? Exactly. Okay, so as an emergency manager, are you when you train as an emergency manager, are you trained with like uh I guess data science with a data science background? Like, I'm I'm not familiar with like what, what kind of core skill sets come into it because it sounds like this solution and even you 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 just said that you whipped together some algorithms, like how much of how much of the problem did you have how much of the solution was already sort of baked into you? Like the like, did you have to learn some new skills? And if, if so, what were those skills that you had to kind of pick up along the way? Yeah, so I learned some really basic um, data analytics and coding skills, primarily in and around statistics in graduate school. Got it. So I learned how to use R yeah. to run some pretty basic statistical analysis. And that is where Geospeza started, just like with the most basic R um, and really quickly, I had visions that outstripped my personal technical capability. And then that's where I come, my co-founder comes in and he is a data heavy full stack engineer. So really quick, I got to this point where I was like, um, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm generating 150 CSV files as my output. Like, whoa, yeah. this isn't going to work. Yeah. <laughs> and then right an idea and then really really soon realized that this was an opportunity for collaboration and only through team effort and hard work were we going to be able to make this work and um it's an interesting thing in this sort of journey of being in a startup and creating a startup is one of the things we do a lot is that we don't know where it's going to take us and then we're like oh we've reached that we've reached sort of the end of our personal rope of of skill set we better bring somebody else in and you have an idea of what their addition is going to be and it's always so much bigger and fuller and deeper than we expect and it's, it's a really lovely part yeah so i guess that well i'm sorry go finish finish Oh no, I was going to say just that that realizing that you're at, that you're at your limit and you need to partner and then you get even more than sort of 1 plus 1 it becomes something even better. Yeah, yeah, and I, I would I would say that that's sort of uh it's a humbling part of the sort of journey. Um especially, well, I guess so one of the previous conversations I had uh, I say maybe 30, 40 minutes ago was with a guy who um, conceded that his ego was one of his biggest detriments. Um, it was one of the reasons why he was why he f he failed his first business. Like he didn't acknowledge where he was lacking in certain certain things, and it was humbling for him uh, to yeah. to come to terms with it, and then also then have to find people who could fill that void for him with him, I should say, rather than for him. Um, in, with your experience, you know, you how did you come into your partnership with uh, what was your what's your co-founder's name? 
His name is Craig. How'd you how'd you meet Craig? Like, was it on a on an app? Was it at a bar? Like, how did that happen? And then also, how clear was it to you that you needed help with something? So I met my co-founder at a bar listening to live music. I was totally joking. Um, <laughs> totally in a social setting, nothing to do with work. And we rather quickly got into what is without question the geekiest bar conversation, which was a really robust debate about the merits of agent-based modeling. Like really, really like I'm sad for anybody who sat next to us during that, that experience. And they were like, you people, what are you talking about? Uh, but yeah, it was a great conversation and it led to a, a longer relationship. And then in, in developing Geo's visa, it was clear to me from the beginning that I could not do this on my own. I do not have the software development skills. Um, the uh, process skills that I need to do it alone. And also what my vision is, is so much larger than than one person. So straight from the get-go, it was a, a partnership between Craig and I, and then also very quickly was tapping into our networks and our colleagues to and our customers to talk through what we were thinking, to be sure we were engaging and, and that we were getting a lot of feedback into our systems throughout the process. There was never any fantasy of me going alone on this. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. How did you get things going after you brought Craig on? Like, did you guys raise some capital? Did you sort of sell a version of this to bring some 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 money into the into the organization? Or were you guys working consulting projects on the side? Like, can you kind of paint a picture yeah. for what those earlier days were like and where you guys are now, especially? Yeah, absolutely. So, I was doing emergency management consulting, um, delivering services related to the same thing I we do in Geospeza, but really a service-driven um, approach yeah. and working late, late, late nights trying to do the initial uh, initial coding in R and then initial building of the company. And Craig also had a full-time job. He uh, worked in ad tech. And then we entered and won a big data coding challenge. And it wasn't a huge amount of money, but it definitely gave us the sort of um, space to breathe to develop an MVP. And so we we used that money, got our MVP out, got that really tested and validated with some early customers. Um, and then we're able to parlay that into getting into Techstars Boulder. And that, that with Techstars, we were sort of off to the races at that point. We were able to raise a little money through getting into the program that allowed a team of initially four of us to be full-time pennies um, and peanuts for salary, but really focused for those three months on that. Um, and then we've been fundraising and we actually just closed our, our seed round. Congrats. So, <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. yeah. So I get, uh, yeah. go ahead. So go ahead. So you just closed the seed round. What was that process like? Have you raised money in the past? Have you have you done that in the past? I had not done that in the past. Um, it was an incredibly challenging and humbling and baffling sometimes experience. I I'm a person who who's really open to feedback and who really reflects on feedback. I value it and I take it. And so um, you definitely suffer if you're of your if you're of that ilk from whiplash that I would have, you know, three or four meetings in a day and 
um, have all sorts of different feedback and be working really hard to rapidly integrate that into my next pitch and also be reflecting on it meaningfully and identifying like, oh, is that good advice? Is that bad advice? I don't know. I don't have any experience in that. So I think I felt a lot of, um, felt a little bit like I lost my way sometimes or I lost my core I don't know. I, I, it was a little disjointing of a process. Um, and you know, it's a, it's a grind. Yeah. Executing a process of talking to 10 strangers a day who essentially beat up your business and tell you why you're wrong. Um, it definitely, uh, it's a tough one. I have empathy for everybody who goes through it. I also feel like, you know, in the early stages, it's hard to get money for free. Not that it's totally for free, right? right. We're, we're promising something in the future, but there's, it's a it's a grueling it's a grueling thing. Yeah. So what what's been your your takeaway in that in that sort of thought process in that in that point of reflection? I think the numbers again. I'm a data driven person, so the numbers suggest that there's something at play, and that women don't we don't get funded. It's three percent of of total venture capital annually. About is goes to women founders, even though there are way more female founders than that as a proportion of the whole. So some things at work and my evidence by having sort of creepy gross meetings would suggest it does play and that it's a huge bummer. I think another thing that's interesting in my experience is that lots of my uh, female CEO peers and mentors, lots of them have consumer oriented products and it feels like to some degree there's a lot more space for consumer oriented products. And when you're getting into sort of um, big data or deep analytics, machine learning, there there are fewer female founders. And I don't know if it's because there's fewer of us or we're just not getting the the traction or the funding, but it, it's been an interesting journey. Yeah, interesting. So describe the, the space that you, you reside in as Geospeza, as opposed to consumer-facing companies. What, what's- yeah, so... Our primary customer and our first go-to-market strategy is selling into government, selling to municipalities, um, so cities, states. um, And that is inherently a tough sell for investors. They have this idea that sales cycles are long and um, there isn't a lot of money to be made. But we've seen in our case that we've, and there are a bunch of other companies who are doing it differently in that software as a service, the SaaS world is is making great inroads in government and so being able to have a subscription rather than this crazy enterprise product gets you in the door and gets you sell sold and up and running quickly so we're below a 90-day sales cycle um and making huge progress really fast progress which i think is on par with any other um lots of other similarly priced businesses so yeah it's been really interesting This episode of Giants and Crowns is brought to you by High Five. Recently named one of Fast Company's most innovative companies of 2018, High Five simplifies business collaboration with a conferencing platform that builds connected cultures. It's the only all-in-one conferencing solution, including intuitive cloud software and purpose-built meeting room hardware. Plus, it's a high-quality experience with a 4K HDR camera and industry-leading audio powered by Dolby Voice. Growing fast with customers in over 100 countries, High Five is already trusted by the likes of Harry's, Rue La La, Expensify, The Atlantic, and Betterment. To learn more and start simplifying your team's video and audio conferencing, visit giantsandcrowns.com forward slash high five. 
So like that, that realization, how does that play or how is that received by investors? I mean, it sounds like it's been received well enough to, to secure seed capital, but you spoke to your experience as a woman, but then you also spoke to, I guess, comparatively the ecosystem versus the ecosystem of your space, the government space versus sort of a consumer driven space. Um, and some of that seems to be a historical reference of government based business being slower. Um, but your ex- oh, totally. your experience being that you guys have been able to sort of buck that trend a little bit because of your value prop and what you're offering. Like, how how have you gone about articulating that to investors and co- sort of convincing the folks who's, who've decided to join you? Yeah, so sales make all of that easier. Data, data, data makes all of it easier, right? If you can, I think there's this, you, in the early days, you have to paint the picture and you have to create a relationship and hopefully build the trust. But nothing builds trust faster than showing someone the evidence that you really are delivering on what you say you are. So I will say that as we proceeded through our raise, it got easier because we had more traction, we had more sales. Got it. Um, But in the beginning, it's a lot of education. It's a lot of being comparative. We have a, a, a slide in our deck which compares us to other companies and shows who they who their investors were and how much they raised and then also has quotes from some pretty well-respected investors about what they think of the GovTech sector so sort of this i think lots of times investors are um they want to see somebody else doing it first and so painting that picture was really important to us to say like we're like this company and they raised 120 million dollars from softbank you have investors say oh oh huh that's interesting. Okay, cool. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. So right. it sort of de-risks the offering a little bit by comparing yourself to others and then also comparing them to their really well-respected institutional investors. So is that, I guess, what were some of the things that you think propelled you forward with those folks who've decided to join you from a, from a capital standpoint? Yeah, I think passion was a big one. This idea... Uh, in one of the first days at Techstars, I think the first day at Techstars, one of the first questions we did this sort of get to know you activity where everybody stands around in a circle and they say, step forward if you have blue eyes, step forward if you're from Colorado, whatever. Um, and one of the questions was, step forward if you're living in your purpose. And it was not ever a question I had considered. And it was such a full body yes for me, like a, a really like stepping forward with effort. And I had a, a great moment of reflection that that I was doing my thing and I was in the right spot. And I think that harnessing that in all of my investor conversations and really letting that shine was something that got, got us a lot of traction. That having enthusiasm and really believing in what you're doing, especially in these really, really hard early days, is the best thing. Um, so, yeah. Got it. it. Would you say that enthusiasm has also helped you grow the team up? Absolutely. Um, I think that we have two sort of primary offerings as an early stage company that does not have the ability to match the salaries of the Googles and the Slacks and the Amazons, um, which is who we're competing against for talent, especially on the technical side. is one, we're a mission-driven company. We are working every day to save people's lives in disaster. And that's a powerful statement that you as a data scientist or a um, front-end engineer 
are working every day to really have an impact and make a difference. I think that that that's compelling and people feel good about that and they're willing to bear with you through the sort of peanut butter and jelly days. And then the other one is that is the enthusiasm, is the excitement of seeing a big vision and having somebody me I in my role to both carve out the path and then also cheer everybody on as we're going there and also notice um, and reflect on when we when we're at milestones and when we're achieving good things so, how have you sort of changed in the last year or I guess the, the companies are around two years old a year old a, a little bit more than a year a year and a half ish okay okay um, so you, you've managed to accomplish quite a bit in that year, year and a half. You've built out an MVP, recruited a team, um, raised capital, finished Techstars, um, and gone through the gauntlet that is fundraising and then some. So looking back at the younger version of yourself or the more naive version of yourself or the less experienced version of yourself, what would you say has changed the most? I think a couple of things. One, my... Um, efficiency and sort of capacity to work continues to grow that I I feel like I just have sort of loads and loads of capacity and I, I think part of it is learning some things we did in Techstars about um, making progress not motion and so avoiding busy work and being very clear about what is the most important thing to be working on and being pushing on that all the time. Um, that's been a really important learning. And also I've seen it increase my capacity. I think also um, I feel very much like I can do anything. I'd never liked cold calling. It was It's still yeah. really incredibly painful experience. The, the prospect <laughs> of picking up the phone and talking to a stranger, not to, not only just talking to them, but selling them a product that you're not sure they want. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just crushing. And I do it like 10 times a day now. You just roll through it, right? You just yeah. feel like, and I'm going to do this. It's just going to happen. So I think part of that is just you build a capacity to do some things that you don't love but you know they're going to move the needle and also this idea that the all of those really painful things are temporary and the longest a cold call is going to last a bad cold call is going to last is a minute and then it's going to be over and you're either going to have a, a great conversation with somebody or you're going to hang up and move on and it's no big deal and so i think that that's been also a pretty good learning is that even the most painful things like waiting for the wire to come or the last person to sign the deal still temporary and you get to the other side of it and so being in the moment and experiencing it and learning from it is important and also sometimes it's just, it's just over and it's okay <laughs> yeah so how, how have you <laughs> how have you how have you sort of articulated that to your team because i'm sure why well, how big is the team now so there's six of us six okay so you and craig are well you first and then i, I guess craig as well Craig second or maybe the same time I don't know but the two of you guys are the first ones to jump out the plate if yeah. you will yeah and you've been building your plate on the way down so you bring other people onto your team but they're not necessarily as risk averse or as uh, as big of a risk taker as the two of you guys so there's perhaps a tolerance of pain that they're not accustomed to or or am I wrong on that like how do you how do you sort of um bring them into the same mental headspace that you're in 
Yeah, that is a really good and hard question. I think that in bringing teammates on, especially again in the early days, and I don't know what it's going to be like in the later days because we're not there yet. I'm excited about right. it when it happens. A different set of challenges. I think there's um, an openness and a transparency and an honesty that you have to engage in, which is this is really risky. I, we have X amount of runway and it is possible that this is going to go nowhere. But I am committing to you, employee, teammate, that I will keep you apprised of our status. I will always be open and transparent and forward in my communication about what's happening so that I can't assure you that you're going to have a job in six months by any stretch, but I can tell you when things are looking bad or good about how that's looking. And we'll be in constant communication and and it won't be a surprise and you'll have an idea. I think that that's the best any founder can do really is to just be in, in sort of transparent, radical honesty with their team about what's happening. Mm. Is that, is that um, a natural thing for you? Is that something that or is that something you've had to sort of develop over the last couple months to a year? Oh, I think I'm definitely developing it still. It's hard. It's hard to say when, you know, I've, I screw up or I push something too far and we really don't have as much money or whatever it is. I think it's hard. And I think there's also an idea of wanting, I'm, I'm still working on figuring out what's oversharing and what am I how do I balance not burdening my team with things that are really the ones that are my responsibility to solve and my responsibility as the CEO to sort of bear the weight of and remain right. in transparency and remain honest, right? That's a that's a fine line. I don't want to share my anxieties for the sake of sharing them um, because it makes me feel better. That's my job is, is to feel the pressure and to do the, the hard things sometimes. So yeah, I guess that that's the learning I'm doing is is what is that balance and and how to maintain it. And I think part of that comes from from spending time with your team and asking your team and being honest in reverse with me, which was like, I don't know, I don't know why you told me that. There's nothing I can do about it. It doesn't do anything except stress me out. And you know, <laughs> right? Like I think that that's feedback I want. Like, great, yeah. cool. I don't know why you told me that. I don't want to know that. Um, and so I think it's all fluid and learning. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are things that you start to learn that you can't necessarily share with your team or it's not best for you to share with your team. Like it's not so much so that you're, I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience and I could be completely off, completely wrong. So uh, tell me if I am. Um, but I, in my experience, I found that there are things that if I was being completely transparent, it would be cool to share with the team, but I think it would be distracting. Yes. And, you know, as you deal with that distraction yourself, if you're a sole founder, it can be very tough, like navigating that alone. Yeah. And dealing with a rejection or dealing with the dwindling cash that you don't want to tell your team completely about because then they'll, you know, you don't know how they'll react or whatever it may be. So I've been fortunate enough to have founders and teammates and advisors and all these things. So how have you sort of navigated um, those potentially distracting components of the biz, even much more so like the example you painted with that previous, that that sort of uh, less than 
uh, savory investor. Like, how did how have you dealt with those things without burning in your team? Yeah. So a couple of ways. So one of them is I have an incredible network of other founders from my time in TechStars, and we are super close. And our CEO forum, which we had weekly in TechStars, continues monthly, and it's a space to talk about all of that stuff. And to get the real support, I um I'm a people collector. Also, I think like in the Strengths Finder, <laughs> when you take Strengths Finder, there's some sort of personality type that's like a collector. And I am totally a collector of people. I keep them in my life. My life, I value them. And so I have this like very rich set of mentors and advisors and peers. And I'm always engaging and and asking and talking through these challenges for sure. Um, And trying to do, usually I will talk to somebody else before I even bring it internal to the team. I'm also really, I have a really good uh, co-founder too. So that's good. And then I think also um, there are moments where I am totally imperfect and totally screw it up. I, uh, the night, a couple of nights after the unsavory investor um, experience happened, I was at another Techstars event and I had had a couple of glasses of wine and I was talking to other Techstars sort of mentor and advisor people and I hadn't said anything out loud about what it had happened. And it just like, it just like spilled out. And it was that moment where you're like, oh, I didn't mean to say that, but apparently like I just overflowed all over you guys. Thanks. Like, thanks for making space for that. Um, So, you know, you know, you're not always perfect and it doesn't always come out eloquent or well-directed. Sometimes you just like your bucket's full and you're like, there it is. That just happened. Um, It's hard. Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is. So you said something really interesting, which is that you're a people collector. Yeah. How do you collect people? And how do you how do you keep them around? Like how do you establish those relationships after you've identified a person that you want to keep? I think I do a a couple of different things. I try to help more than I ask for help. Um, so constantly be be like giving in the relationship rather than always taking. And I think there's a a give and take that happens in relationships, right? You want to be mutually supportive, mutually engaged. But I think if you have an idea an idea in your head that you're always going to be trying to um, be giving a little bit more, you then become a really great friend and you become a really great mentee even to be acknowledging when they've helped you to be grateful for the support, to be grateful for just the relationship. I think that's another thing. It's funny. um, I've not ever thought about how this works. So it's all coming out at once, but I think that's part of it. Um, another part is that gratitude to be tell people that you're grateful for them and tell them what they how much they mean to you. They're more likely to stick around. And then I'm also a killer letter writer. I <laughs> love writing paper notes and putting them in the mail. And I think that in this era, that makes a big difference. I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, totally agree. So um, we're actually getting close to close to the end of time here. So what sure. I want to do is uh, is shift directions a little bit. Okay. So what is what's been, I guess, some of the what's been the biggest hurdle in terms of uh, balancing your work life and your personal life, um, especially given this last year. It's it's you know fundraising all of that. How do you how have you balanced those two things? Oh, totally poorly. Um, 
there, I don't know anybody who, who can master that. So I'm a mom of three kids. Um, it, thanks. Yeah. They're amazing. Three little and, startups there. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's bananas. I don't know what I was thinking, but, um, they're <laughs> lovely and wonderful. And I will say that the thing that's really taken a hit is my sort of personal self-care. I don't exercise nearly as much as I should. I drink more than I should and I eat crappier than I should. And I think that's a really common founder problem of you give a lot to your job, you give a lot to your your work, and then you give a lot to your family and there's not a ton left at the end of the day. Um, and I'm just in a place of accepting that just is the way it is right now and I'll get through and I'll get past and I'll go back to yoga someday. And that's okay. Yeah. So I guess with, with that then, you're sort of making a conscious sacrifice towards a bigger thing. What's How would you describe that bigger thing and how is it you want, like, what do you see um, in terms of Geospeza, but also in terms of yourself as Sarah? Yeah, I have some pretty, I have a very strong belief that nobody in North America should die as a result of a hurricane ever again. We have seven to 10 days notice that they're coming. We have all of the communications and technology and resources in the world to prevent people from dying. And in this case, it is a, a political will problem and it is a um, applying the right things to the challenge. And so I would love to see in my lifetime, a big Florence, a big Harvey, a big Katrina, where nobody dies, where we get people out of the way and we get them to safety and we get them back safe and sound. Um, that is something that drives me every day. And also that we solve some of, some of the real serious inequities. We see people who have um, low incomes, people who don't speak English, people of color have disproportionate outcomes in disaster. They die more often, they're injured more often, it takes them longer to recover. And that's a that's a political problem and that's a societal problem that's entrenched and is there, but we have tools like Geospeza to help solve those problems and to help those people who suffer disproportionately. And so I find that incredibly motivating. So um, doing good while building an incredibly successful company that's an amazing place to work, it's a good way to get up every day. It, absolutely yeah absolutely so what what what's like the how could somebody be the most helpful to you like of our listeners and perhaps anyone else who's listening to them like what would you say before we jump into our quick fire what's what is the the best and most impactful way that could be helpful to you or what's like what keeps you up at night potentially can help on that wow. so we're always fundraising so if you are an investor and this sounds interesting to you reach out um also i think we are oriented towards preparedness. So if you are um, a person, an individual, take the steps to make a plan for how you're gonna handle yourself in disaster. Get some food, get some water, talk to your partner or your friends about where you're gonna meet up if something happens so that you can reconnect with your network. Do that, That that's, that's step one of being incredibly prepared. And then if you have a company and you haven't thought about your exposure to climate risk or your exposure um, to any sort of disaster, reach out and let's have a conversation about how Geospeza can help you keep your business running, keep your staff okay, protect your supply chains. That's that's what we want to do. And I think um, we'd, I'd love to talk to you about what you're doing and how you can do it better. Awesome. Ryan <laughs> 
Today's episode is brought to you by Brilliant. Head over to brilliant.org forward slash giants and crowns or go to giantsandcrowns.com forward slash brilliant. You know, um, one of the reasons why we started Giants and Crowns uh, is to really focus on and exercise extracting lessons learned. We're hosting these conversations in the hopes that the actions taken by our guests, the decisions they've made, can help inform the decisions that we will all make as business owners, as generalists, as scientists, as designers, as photographers, as, as producers, as creatives, um, but even more, more so than all that, as lifelong learners. So I, I fundamentally think that, and I think you, you guys would agree as well, to be a great thinker, to be a great learner, you have to have multiple perspectives, multiple models, a diversity in perspective. Um, you need to be multidisciplinary. Brilliant is hands down one of the best places to polish up and do that in an engaged and active, interactive way. And you know, there's, there's actually this really dope quote by Charlie Munger. He talks about Charlie Munger, the partner of Warren Buffett um, over at Berkshire Hathaway and also an inspiration for the podcast. What he says is the first rule is that you've got to have multiple models because if you have just one or two that you're using, the nature of human psychology is such that you'll torture reality so that it fits your models. And the models have to come from multiple disciplines because all of the wisdom of the world is not to be found in one little academic department. That's crucial. Brilliant provides frameworks that are helpful for thinking and solving problems. Brilliant is a place where you can achieve true understanding by getting to the heart of a concept. Your courses are written by leading instructors and researchers who have worked to provoke natural curiosity and guide you through an interactive exploration of deep concepts and principles and ideas. So definitely check out Brilliant. Head over to brilliant.org forward slash Giants and Crowns or giantsandcrowns.com forward slash brilliant. Support Giants and Crowns by doing that and the first 200 folks from Giants and Crowns who sign up get uh, 20% off their first entire uh, premium subscription year. Um, so sign up, check it out. Let us know how, you, how, how you're enjoying it. Um, when we send out our weekly updates, respond with a screenshot or something. That, that'd be awesome. Let us know that you're part of the crew. Um, all right. Thank you so much. All right. So let's jump over to our, to our quick fire questions. You ready? Wait. Yep. Ready. Okay. <laughs> uh, first question, Biggie or Tupac? Biggie, without question. <laughs> why, 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 why do you say that? Because he's Biggie. He's the best. <laughs> Period. <laughs> That's fair. I'm from Los Angeles, so there's, oh, there's, a, there's, there's a, a bias. There's a debate to be had. I win. There's, Sorry. <laughs> I, will, I will say, though, that Tupac is also from New York. So it, it's always been a thing for me. Like, how can he actually claim that? But nonetheless, I Tupac had a, all day. As a, this is not quick fire, but I had a terrible moment when I realized I was older than Biggie was when he died. It was, yeah. a, it was a not a good moment. I did not enjoy that at all. <laughs> I was just talking to somebody about that the other day. It's it's, a, it's 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 also marvelous though, like how old they were and the impact that they've had. Yeah. At that age, that's that's tremendous. Indeed. Um, yeah. So next question: um, What is a a book or a number of books that have been the most impactful to you personally and or professionally? Oh goodness, I'm a I don't read business books. I'm terrible about that. I just love fiction, all of the fiction. I also love a good, funny book. David Sedaris on a rainy day. I love David Sedaris, yeah. Yeah, that'll always perk you up, right? Yeah, David Sedaris. There you go. Okay. All right, what is a a favorite tool uh, in your arsenal? 
um, a stamp. Again, nothing like a good old fashioned letter. Yeah. Um, all right. So you have a hundred dollars. You have two weeks to turn that a hundred dollars into two thousand dollars. If you make it happen, you get a million dollars. You can't sell any stock. Um, and yeah, I guess it's the only limitation. What do you do? Did I lose you? Do you know? I'm thinking. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think I take all of the amazing people I know out to dinner at once and get them to invest in this scheme. Right. Yep. Because you have the million dollars at the end, so you give them a piece of that. Yeah. <laughs> Share the wealth and a delicious dinner in the process. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. There you go. All right. So last question. You're allowed one meal for the rest of your life, every single day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, this one meal. What's that meal? And don't hold back on details. Oh, amazing fruit salad. Just fresh and every type of fruit in the world. Like the most delicious pineapple, um, incredible papaya, some apples for crispness, just fruit salad all day, every day. I could do that. Nice. <laughs> That's great. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time out today. I'm glad we were, we were able to squeeze this in. Thanks so much. Talk to you later. No problem. See you. Bye. 10,000 years or more am I Both live and breathe about this love This love, this love When several days keep us apart I'll wear you on my heart Draw a path of memories Begin for hope alone